Hey friends, uh, welcome back. I hope you had a great week last week after we listened to um, Steve Addison talk about Michelle and um, her um, her passing, but also the real sense of life and hope in the gospel that Steve brought through to us and how Jesus was glorified through Michelle's life. And um, uh, I, I was really personally blessed as we did that podcast and it was really great. So um, this week we have a real treat. Um, we're going to be talking to Phil Brown, and uh, Phil has just um, uh, written a new book, The Seven Calls of Jesus, that started a movement and changed the world. Subtext, making disciples the way Jesus did. A really a good book, and I've had the blessing, the privilege to have a read uh, cover to cover, and I can highly recommend it. Phil, um, Phil was... Um, a man who was brought up in a, a Christian family in country Victoria. Um, he, uh, he, after year 12, went to study secondary school and uh, became a pastor, of all things, and uh, graduated and went to minister in Tasmania. Then he moved to Melbourne and married his lovely wife, Kate, and they have um, uh, three sons and a daughter and two grandkids. Um, he Planted his first church in 1996, and then, uh, uh, along with some further study, was invited to Western Australia to oversee church planting. And uh, in that time, uh, saw about 50 new groups and churches planted in four years. Now that's that's remarkable. Um, out of that season, um, stepped out of paid pastoral work with a conviction that the New Testament church. Uh, differed for what he had been involved in. And in 2013, he took up the leadership of Oikos, which is his focus on house church and disciple making. And this is where we've connected. And um, I, I just uh, love Phil and Kate and uh, and um, uh, just see, see great heart in them. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Dave, for having us on. That was a great introduction. I was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes when people introduce you, you go, well, I'm looking forward to hearing myself. It must be. <laughs> it sounds really good. Um, Phil, um, is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction and about who you are and something the listener would should know about you? Yeah, I guess I um, I'm a truth seeker in the sense of just, yearning to see the gospel really breaking out and finding the best ways that we can share that. Um, Mm. And just not wanting to just settle for the status quo, but continually exploring and learning. And I continually learn from the people who are doing it along with what I experienced myself. And I think um, to be a learner is a, is a great, um, great position to come from and, I consider myself a learner. Mm. That's awesome, brother. Yeah, and um, you know, as as you uh, as I talked about in the introduction, you 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 kind of jumped out of a well, I would consider that really successful. That those kind of figures of what you're doing in um, in WA and you're in paid ministry, and you you made a paradigm shift uh, into a, a different model. And you, there was something of conviction happening there. Can I just share with share with the people about the conviction that was going on in you to to make that big shift? 
Yeah. Yeah, I was really enjoying my my work. Had a great team of pastors and others that I was working with and saw lots of different and innovative sort of approaches. But I guess at the back of it, I saw, and I'd wrestled with this for some time, that the established church, and I'm not trying to put it down in any way, but I just recognise that people get bogged down in it and it kind of holds up the the missional creativity and exploration and effectiveness. So I've been wrestling with that. And as I was, I embarked on some further study on a doctoral level. And as I was doing that, it just reinforced to me again that the early church that I was reading in the New Testament was different to the one that I was working with. And I guess wow. many pastors have that experience. And mm. I thought, well, I can continue to do this or I can kind of take the the leap and I wanted to just be free to to do what I felt like God was calling me to. So it wasn't an easy step, but I, Kate and I took it. Didn't know how we we're going to survive financially, but mm. God provided. And I have to mm. say, God is so good. He never has mm. never let us down. Yeah. So it was a theological conviction. It was a practical conviction, and also a just desire to see what God could do out there without outside of the existing frameworks. But I'm not in any way trying to put them down. Just saying, I think yeah. God can. Yeah. God can do amazing things. He's not limited by our frameworks that we sometimes mm. come with. No, your heart heart shines right through there for the church. Um, what what would you boil down some of those differences of conviction that you saw as you're starting to look at the New Testament church and starting to look at what you said you were in today? If you could boil that down to a few things, what what would be some of those differences? Well, one is one that's well known to anyone with a Protestant Christian heritage, the priesthood of all believers. And even though that's often sort of touted round um, in established churches, it really is more pastor-driven and controlled. And wanted to see something that was free where every believer could be a disciple-maker and I know established churches want that to happen, but I I think um, we have to, the framework and the structures and everything have to support that reality. So that was one of the things that I saw was different. Also, I just saw that we needed um, a whole lot more prayer and direction from the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I saw how the early church just spread like a, a virus and had to acknowledge that, unfortunately, I wasn't seeing that <laughs> um, and still yearned to see it in a fuller way. But um, just to see ordinary people taking the gospel into every nook and cranny of society and being a light, being a witness there and just looking at how can we, how can we equip and support people like that and just cheer them on. And sometimes people are doing amazing things, but they kind of feel, well, oh, you know, I haven't been to Bible college, I haven't got a degree, you know, is this, is it okay what I'm doing? Yeah, fantastic, keep doing it, bless you, you know. Um, so the, the freedom, the flexibility, the creativity, the priesthood of all believers, the crying out for God to, to break through, um, and then, of course, 
um, helping every person to be effective in disciple making. And that was something, I guess I still am learning it, but I, I still was learning myself. I was always preaching we should do these things, but trying to figure out how we do them. And um, I, I think since that time I've come across more effective practical tools, I might say, on how you can, how you can approach people, how you can do that. Mm. Yeah, and that's really, really come out in your book, the, the, the practical things. And I just, um, I love, I love the book because it's really, um, you, you kind of listening to the voice of the spirit as you, you're reading through the book. And there's an invitation for everybody to be involved in mission. And that comes through not just the theory, but so many stories that you practically, you're obviously living what you're teaching. And um, that's really, really exciting. Tell us about the, tell us about the book. I mean, I look at writing books and I go, wow, that's a lot of work. Why, why would you do a book? And, and, and what's the, what's the driving force with the book? Mm, Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I guess I'd shared bits and pieces of it in, you know, training exercises and with people all across the place, Australia and other places. Um, and I guess I thought, well, I should put it down in one coherent <laughs> piece of work so people can access it if they if they choose to. So that was that was part of it. It was just a challenge, something I think God just put into me that I need to do this and um Sometimes when I was writing, you think, wow, why did I start on this? Um, and I, I confess that for quite a while, I made a good start and then it sat for a few years and just sat there and nothing much happened. And then I felt, no, I just must get this thing finished. And um, yeah, so I guess it's to create something that can be um, utilised beyond oneself um, and to record I guess we all learn things as we go along, um, just to record some of those things, some of the stories, some of the insights, and just hope that people who read it will be, you know, better equipped and motivated and, you know, they can sort of start on our shoulders, if you like, and jump from there. Hmm. If you were to encourage somebody to engage with the book, what's what's some of the main content that would create a desire for someone who's involved in disciple-making or on the track or on the journey of that, for them to say, I'd love to connect with that book. What what would be some of the, the major content of, of the book? Because uh, it's written around um, seven, seven Cs, actually, um, you know, from, from the choose to connect, to commit, to cast your nets, to take up your cross, to build communities and um, as, look at the Great Commission in a fresh way. So what, what, what when you, you're, you're imagining someone would pick up this book, why would they do it? Mm. Well, one, I would hope they'd be interested in looking at the calls that Jesus gave because they were so simple, so straightforward. And we've got the Book of Acts and the New Testament and then, of course, history, and there's lots of interesting stuff, but always like to go back to what Jesus said and just see how that's a frame 
for the for him for the early church and throughout history and for our time it's still just as relevant so some of the things would be how jesus told um like one there's many things i could talk about but one is where jesus said um to his followers come or his disciples he said come and follow me and then he went on to say and i'll make you fishers of men so the fishes of men was uh, an integral part connected with um, following Jesus, but just the simplicity of what a disciple is, it's coming and following Jesus. And what does that look like? Um, sometimes, you know, we can get caught up on things like, have they said the sinner's prayer and all that sort of thing. I think as I look at it, it was a journey that people were on and they're learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if we see disciple-making as a, a journey and not separate evangelism from disciple-making because they're all part of the same deal. Um, from my, my sort of understanding is that from the first um, time a, a non-believer engages with a follower of Jesus, disciple-making is starting to happen. They're starting to be impacted and seeds are being sown and the Spirit is working so I think that's really important. Another thing that really interested me was when I sort of developed the, actually is a couple of chapters where I look at loving community, we would commonly call the church or the ecclesia, um, just to see the impact of that even historically where Christians have done community in a, in a powerful way. And just a couple of days ago we had, um, or a day ago we had, um, uh, a lady that we know and her son, they were visiting with us and they have an amazing community up on the um, the Highlands, um, New South Wales Highlands. And I think we recorded a bit of the story there. I won't go into all the details, but they have a um, they have quite a community that's developing there. They, they're on the edge of a, um, a youth camp that their parents own and they've built... Um, a, a simple house for themselves and then it's sort of multiplied. It has a number of dwellings on it and then um, they're off grid um, and they have another family living in another house on the property. But the thing that really struck me was people were just being drawn to this community, a bit like a moth to a flame, as you say. And it's about, it's embedded in a lot of prayer, um, a lot of relationship. And then when people are coming along and checking it out and kind of liking the taste of it. And so I see not only the invitation to follow Jesus, um, but the actual connection with, um, with a faith community that's really sort of closer to what it should be is very attractive. It is today. And um, oh, I'll just share... Kate and I were there a couple of months ago and once a month they have an open worship invitation and there were about 30-plus people there with all these kids and other people and they were just people were just looking and getting their head around it. Some were deeply engaged. Um, they'd had about four men um, that they spoke of in the last couple of days that were kind of open and they were praying for them even though they weren't Christians but they were being attracted to it. And looking at historically, there's a lot of um, examples um, that's happened throughout history of 
um, the impact of Christian community like um, the Celtic Church and the um, the monastic centres they bought, but not not like we know them sort of in the Catholic stream, but they were really missional centres, really engaging with people in their lives. Um, there was the Benguine women in the, I think it was 11th, 12th century or so, um, yeah, who embodied community and basically loved and cared for people and thousands of people became followers of Jesus. Um, and I could go on with other examples, but back then in the early church, like in Acts 2, um, throughout history and continues on, and when you find that, I don't know if this is the right word, but there's something magic about it. Yeah, there's yeah. Something magic, and of course it's the Holy Spirit, but it's just all the everything coming together. <laughs> yeah. The, the, um, the creation of new communities that, exhibit, you know, discipleship, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus with high participation, high mm. love, that, mm. that, you know, that, that expression of love that it just can look so different in so many times as um, really comes through in your book and, and the idea that we need to see discipling communities um, planted that are both for Christians and non-Christians. Mm. Um it was Leslie Newbigin that says, you know, the, the the community for the West is the bridge to experience Jesus and to be mm. able to, you know, the the uh, ability to to encounter Jesus. People need to see it lived and breathed, and 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 they need to encounter Christ in with community. I actually think this is one of the keys for us in the West. Mm. Is to create communities that you describe in your book, and you 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 go through some great stories in history of um, of communities. I really got inspired as I was listening to some of that, but also some of your reflection on um, um, ecclesia and ecclesia, even the words and the language of ecclesia and church, uh, and the way we translate that in the in the Bible. Um, some might think it's semantics, but I think it, there's something there. Mm. Um, yeah, that. Um, it's really quite powerful. Tell us, um, tell us a bit about the the idea of um, ecclesia versus kirch or church, in, in that uh, the house of God um, mm. concepts um, that are there. Yeah, yeah. Some people would think it's semantics, but words shape our thinking, and vice versa. Mm. And the the word that Jesus chose, he could have used synagogue, he could have used temple or something akin to it, but he didn't do either of those, even though the initial Christians were very familiar with that. But he chose the word ecclesia. And an ecclesia, just in brief, um, it's got a dual meaning that draws on the Greek and the Hebrew background. But the main thing is from the Greek world fifth century BC, where citizens would come to the city gate and engage in discussion, and everyone had the right and the responsibility. It was very participatory, as you mentioned before, Dave. Everyone had the right to say and to speak, and then they were part of the decision-making that was made at that time. And mm. and so that was sort of the background, and even in the Book of Acts, at one time where there's a riot, I think it was Ephesus or one of those places, 
where the the proconsul's quietening the people down saying, hey, we better be careful, the Romans will come down on us. And he said, haven't we got an ecclesia that we can take this to? It was kind Mm. of like the city council or the, the court or something like that. So it wasn't a religious word, but that was the word that Jesus chose. And Paul uses it, I think, from memory about 60 times or so. Um, And so it embodied a very participatory, interactive kind of thing where people were assembled. And, of course, the ecclesia of Jesus is an assembly that is gathered in Jesus' name. So it's always Mm. people. It's never a building and Mm. it's not a program. And they're gathered in Jesus' name. And that's where it also picks up on the Hebrew background a bit where there were people called out to come before God. And so combining those two ideas, I think it's important. The word church that we've got had an interesting history even in the Bible translation of the English language. And you have to read the details, but essentially... Initially, when it was translated by Tyndale, it was translated congregation, which is mm. an accurate translation, assembly or congregation. This is the word ecclesia in the in the Greek, when, yeah. or ecclesia, as you're saying it. The, the translation, Tyndale um, made that congregation. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, mm. Um, but when it came to the King James, King James mm. gave the translators 15 rules. And if I remember rightly, the third rule was that they were to follow fairly closely the language used in, I think it was the Bishop's Bible. Um, In other words, he wanted it translated um, church. And a church had a sort of the word from a Greek word, oikodumen, meaning house belonging to God, and also mixed up with a bit of English and other background words. Mm. It came to mean a house belonging to God. And so when we say we go to a church, that's what we're talking about. But Going to the house, yeah. Yeah. So one is a building, um, the other is a group of people following Jesus. Mm. Um, it's a different sort of concept. It's, it's a really different concept. And, and um, so what would your word for ecclesia in English be? Yeah, probably I've wrestled a lot with that, but probably gathering, the gathering mm. of, of believers. Um, yeah, same. Mm. Yeah. Um, we had a, <laughs> taking it a step further into an Aussie context, we had a a gathering for some Oikos people recently and we called it the muster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense actually, the muster. Yeah. Um. Fantastic. I know you and Katie uh, reach out a lot and and you love seeing people come to Jesus. That's so evident in your book and seeing them baptized and following following Jesus. What what are some of the helpful keys that helped you make a transition from a, let me use these words cautiously, professional Christian, (laughs) someone who was paid in a pastoral role, to someone who's living out the faith with with others, um, letting them see your lives and letting them go on a journey to discover Jesus, what are some of the real keys of shifts there that you you discovered? Mm. Yeah, good question, Dave. 
I must just say my wife, Kate, is so much better at this than me. She just seems to pick up people. Our wives always are better than us. <laughs> right and centre and just engages with them and next thing she's sharing mm. the three-circle gospel or, mm. or sometimes um, other things. One thing that I have learned that works for me is just the importance of listening to people and asking some questions. So mm. I can enter into their world and then picking up on their their needs and it's sort of an open door to prayer or to spiritual discussion, that sort of thing. So mm. and instead of working within a framework like come to my church, which is what you do when you're more a pastor, it's mm. um, how can we, would you like to, you know, discover more of the ways of Jesus, the spirituality of Jesus, could we catch up and, you know, read some of those stories together? Do you have some friends that we could um, do that? And I'm trying to move into their world, their time, their space as much as I can because um, it's not so much uh, – I mean, it can be come along to to my gathering, but it's, it's much better if it's their gathering. Mm. Well, it's Jesus' yeah. gathering, but um, <laughs> it's um, – if if they own it, well, it's much better, and we're really setting them up um, to be discipling leaders and hopefully multiplies. Mm. <laughs> mm. So I think that was one of the things um, to actually engage and just interact with people. And I find we run a couple of businesses, and I just find it is a challenge to kind of engage with people on a spiritual level when you're in that kind of world as well. Mm. And so... I just find listening is really important. Um, we've found with our staff, um, you know, Kate's forever doing cappuccinos or some, some sort of hot drink with them. And, yeah, she'll often just say, look, she'll go and work with them a bit, like maybe just training them, for example, if they're a cleaner, how to how to clean as, you know, on a professional level. And they're talking and listening and then next thing it's, um, let's go out for a coffee. Mm. And then... Yeah. You know, they're catching up and something that I've learned from her is um, she'll often, they'll be talking and she'll just say, have you ever heard the story about the father and the, the son who was mucking mm. up? Or You know, she'll just really mm. give it a everyday thing. So she'll start mm. telling them the story of the prodigal or maybe mm. a woman struggling with something. Can I tell you mm. the story about um, the woman who had, who was bleeding and was a real outcast. So just linking the Bible stories with their story. Everyday life. Everyday yeah. life. And and I think mm. that's how it should be. I think spirituality and our faith should just be part of it. And so, I don't do this super well, but I often try and just drop in little teasers into the conversation to see if people respond at all. So there are some of the things that I've just been growing. They're very simple, really. Growing and learning, I should say. Just fantastic. And if you want to um, really be encouraged to ha- how do I share my faith, um, how do I break through some of those barriers, this is what where the book really gives us lots of keys and lots of ways of encouragement to to jump out. I, I was listening to Ben Taylor. was in, was in New Zealand a short time ago. Ben's a practitioner in um, England. And and he was saying, talking about finding people in the community that 
that he can build church around mm. rather than trying to invite them into his churches. And mm. it's the classic people of peace concept, you know, which you've mm. just described before. Mm. How do I go and have spiritual conversations, find those people, build church around them or ecclesia or the gathering or where is the natural gathering? Mm. Um, are really, really fantastic. And uh, the, the power of uh, Jesus in the community Really great, Phil. Thank you so much for for not this podcast, but for pouring yourself into a book and and seeing seeing that as a multipliable resource that would encourage so many to engage with Jesus and so many to engage with what it means to be a disciple. Um, what's your hope for the book? Well, I'm hoping it does become both an inspiration and also a resource to people who looking for something more than just the the -the run-of-the-mill stuff that many of us have sort of tried before. So I'm hoping it is a a useful resource. And in the the back it's got some reading and study guides where it's got some questions that you can use as discussion base for people. Um, Some of the simple tools, they're not unique to me, but I've just sort of tried to put them in there like um, three-circle, listening, um, you know, our story, God's story, others' story. Um, some of those those simple things, Oikos map, um, those sorts of things. Let me tell you one more story, if I may. Um, this is a fairly current one. Um, there's a guy down near um, Cranbourne Way, and they have a cafe. Him and his wife, and they also train people like from the people in need and that sort of thing, in hospitality and that sort of thing. So they engage with lots of people in the cafe, but they just open up conversations and are really friendly and engaging, and people just love coming there. They started a a gathering, a faith community there, and the thing is just sort of taking off. Um, They then invite people to a – they say, would you like to come along and meet some other people a bit like yourselves? I think you'll like them. And that's a little bit more um, spiritual. And then after that, they invite them to a um, to Christian gathering. And so they've got people opening up their homes to have gatherings and they've got more people wanting to do that than what they've got dates in the calendar. And Amazing. they've got yeah. about 30 or so people who are coming along and people now wanting to plant, um, it's called Oasis. They want to start an oasis over in Geelong and other places they've They've connected with a migrant worker community nearby as well. And so, mm. yeah, just this, a simple hospitality. They have a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, a lot of eating, a lot of food. Um, mm. And it's sort of non-pretentious, non-religious, but they're very serious about Jesus and people are just seeming to love it. And it's a mix of Christians from all sorts of walks and totally non-believers. So... I just think there's not one way. There's many models, but I often say mm. to people, what's in your hand? Mm. They have a cafe. Not everyone has a cafe. But I've even said to people, you don't have to own the cafe. You can go and meet in someone else's cafe. <laughs> you know, you can engage mm. in, in places, in public mm. spaces where people are comfortable. But, yeah, hospitality, yeah. warmth, friendship, love, a passion for Jesus, good food, good coffee. Um, it's a pretty lethal mix. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, Phil. How how do people get hold of the book? 
Um, yeah, if they look up um, Oikos Australia, the website, um, there's a, a link on it where you can order the book. It's $20, and for a single book, it's about 6 or $7 to post it to you. It's a bargain. Yeah, fantastic. Phil, the people who are listening to this, they're in your world. They they would resonate a lot with what you've been talking about, and um, they're um, they're they're uh, doing the work of being in the harvest and planting groups. And uh, I just wonder whether you would just um, speak directly to them and bring a word of encouragement for this week as they jump into their mission field and their place of engagement, and as they they pursue being a disciple, but also going and making disciples in their world. Yeah. Yeah, folks, I, I consider you that you're on, we're a team, we're on the same journey together and we're drawn by Christ and the amazing thing that he did. He was our pioneer, our leader. And I just want to encourage you um, to to continue seeking and doing the things that you're doing. Don't give up because sometimes when the going gets a bit tough or dry, it could just be one connection and that person of peace that opens up a whole new network of people. And you know what I'm talking about because you're out there doing it. And so just keep praying, keep going out there, keep engaging with as many people as you can and keep sharing stories and encouraging each other because for me and I think for you, the words I want to hear from Jesus at the end of my life or when I meet him is, well done, good and faithful servant. And that isn't about numbers or anything big and famous. It's just about being faithful. And I believe if there's enough people faithfully sowing, if there are enough um, creative um, faith communities birthed and operating in all sorts of spaces, People will be drawn to them. And I kind of dream that people in Australia wouldn't be able to go through a week without bumping into one or more fired-up followers of Jesus <laughs> and and also coming across really sort of interesting and intriguing faith communities. And then they'll ask, well, what's going on here, guys? What, what, are you, what drives this? Um, I was just talking to a, a lady, as I mentioned before, and she was just telling me how she's um, in a couple of homeschooling groups and how other women have come up to her and said, oh, I'd really like to know more about Jesus and reading the Bible, but I don't know where to start. Um, like what Those sorts of invitations and, like, wouldn't, you, wouldn't we all jump at that, you know? Wow, I think I could help you. <laughs> Let's get some rolling on Discovery Bible reading. So there are people out there, and there are also Christians who are, have lost track a bit with faith communities, and they need somewhere to engage as well. So I just want to encourage you, be faithful. The results leave that to the Lord, but if we're all doing it, God will honour that, and we will see breakthroughs. So that's really just a simple encouragement I want to give. I often tell myself that. Um, and then I keep praying for more. Lord, I, you know, I haven't led anyone to Christ for a while. I just need somebody like, Lord, just lead me to a person. And 
I, I had a friend who was great at leading people to the Lord, and he used to say, as an older guy, unfortunately he's passed away now, but he used to say, before my feet would hit the floor in the morning as I was climbing out of bed, he said, I'd just say to the Lord, Lord, I'm available. If there's anyone you want me to speak to today, um, you just prompt me and make me aware of that and I'll do it. And he did. He led the, a number of people, even the council workers who'd come to clean his house at a, as an older guy. He led, I think, half a dozen of them to the Lord. He was just like that, you know. So I think it's a great, oh, and then he would say, and then it's God's problem. I don't feel any guilt. I just go through my day and enjoy my day. But he would always look for those opportunities. So that's my prayer for each of you as we go on the path of life, as we're going about our business in the supermarket or wherever, just that if we're aware and we're tuned into the spirit that we will be sensitized to any opportunities, any people that you want to bring across our path. And, Lord, I just pray that at the end of our life, um, when you return or we meet you, just that we will hear your words saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And, Father, I just pray for your blessing on all these courageous frontline workers who are out there in the harvest every day doing it. May they sense your blessing. May they sense the joy of seeing people come to Christ and then become active and faithful followers of you and also Lord just that you'll provide for all their needs financially relationally family wise and may they just sense that you have put them and brought them to the kingdom for such a time as this that they have they're in this place because you have a work for them to do and when when that time is um, finished you'll move them or do whatever but while while they're there, while we're where we are, we'll be faithful. So bless us, Lord, and thank you for the privilege of sharing and serving you. Amen.